0: Welcome to episode 216 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Kat Corchado. She is the host of Sisters in Service and I was lucky enough to be a guest on her podcast so I'm excited to have her here this week to be on my podcast. We have also been on a panel together and we met at various conferences so it was so exciting to Meet cat through her podcast and to form a friendship that has continued on. In this episode, we talk a lot about what led her to the military, which was being a single mom and what that experience was like. And then we also talked about her career in communications and how she ended up working in fitness after leaving the military and how she gives back to veterans who have served through the various programs that she is a part of. So let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Kat. I'm so excited to do this interview.
1: Thank you, Amanda. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you for having me on your podcast, Sisters in Service. I'll link to it in the show notes so people can go listen to that episode. It's like the opposite. I got interviewed by Kat and now she's interviewing me. (laughs) I love it. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military?
1: How much time do you have? it was necessity. I needed a job in a really, really bad way. So I know you have a lot of young listeners, but I joined the military in 1979. I came in under the delayed enlistment. So I did not go active duty until March of 1980. And I was a single parent. I I was divorced. I had a child and I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, Kids back then weren't as prepared, at least I wasn't, as kids are today. And so growing up as a military brat, I thought, okay, let me just go in the military for a few years and just figure it out. And um, it ended up being more than four and more than eight. And then around 20, I said, I guess I need to leave.
0: So do you think the connection to the military through your, was it your mom or your dad? Who served my maybe? dad. It was my dad. So do you think that was what drew you to the military, having that connection?
1: Well, I think it was an option. You know, a lot of people who have no affiliation with the military don't think of it as an option. And I looked at my life as that was the only option I had because I didn't have money to go to school. I was working, a, you know, a regular job that was hard. And I thought, OK, there's got to be something else that I can do. And finally, I just said, well, let me just go in the military.
0: And you mentioned you are a single parent, and I know that there's history with the military with, like, rules around single parents. So did you have any challenges joining the military being a single mom?
1: Well, challenges money-wise, yes, but also challenges as far as the stigma that's attached to being a single parent. So when I went to boot camp, apparently the Air Force at that time had stopped single parents from coming in the military, meaning I didn't have to have paperwork to have my son stay with my mom or or someone else. And so when I went to boot camp, we were filling out all this paperwork and it said, do you have any dependents? And I said, yes. And my TI had called me in the office and he said, how did you get in the military? And I said, I don't know. Y'all let me in. I don't know what to say. But apparently because I was delayed enlistment, I was already, I was in. And so they couldn't tell me no at that point. But then going active duty, the stigma for single parents was, you know, we were lazy. We were never there because our child was always sick. We didn't get the job done and it always had to go to someone else. So I had to prove that not only could I be a successful single parent, but also good at what I did. And once I proved that, then it was pretty much smooth sailing from there. But challenging was the money; that was always challenging. And I lived on base, and it was—I mean, I remember paying bills and having ten dollars left in my account. And I said, well, "Let me leave that little ten dollars in there," <laughs> you know. So it w- it was difficult. I had to, you know have a part time job but part time enough where it didn't it wasn't three, four hours because I had to be home for my son.
0: Yeah, you covered like so many different issues, like the stigma around single parents and a lot of that could have been related to the culture. Like you said, they were like, How did you get into the military? You're like, I don't know, but I'm here because there was like if you were a single parent, there were all these rules and regulations and sometimes they wouldn't allow people in and then that just probably made the whole situation of having single parents in the military even a bigger issue because there were so few because they wouldn't allow as many to go in. And so that's really interesting. And then the financial, we were talking about the struggle of finances in the military before we started recording. And that, I mean, that it's just really hard to survive on A young enlisted salary which not really meant for two people and you're trying to survive off of that and how hard that was so you said that you had to prove yourself how long did it take to prove yourself and why did you keep going in the military
1: well i found that the military was a stable environment at that time for my son you know, I could leave him home by himself when he was old enough, of course. But, you know, back then, everyone watched everyone else's kids. You know, hey, I'm going to the commissary. Can you watch my son? They're like, yeah, sure. You know, they're all playing in the yard. And it was okay. I mean, it was it was just something you did. It felt safe. You know, you're on a base. Who's going to mess with you on a base, right? But I felt as though, and this was in my own mind, that if I could prove That I could get the job done, meaning that if I had a deadline of Monday to get something in, I would have it done the previous Thursday or Friday, it would be in their box, done. So when they said, hey, where's this? I said, you know, it's, it's been in your box since last week. So I kept doing that to where they just said, oh, she'll get it done. Don't worry about it. So I don't know whether it was so much that they made me prove it as much as I felt like
0: I had to prove that I could do it. Yeah, that's a really, I think, universal thing that women in the military struggle with because sometimes we feel like we have to prove that we're supposed to be there because we have to work harder or turn things in earlier just to prove it. And so that's really interesting that it could have just been a personal thing. I'm sure there were challenges and people who doubted that you could be there and that sort of thing, but also like the extra pressure you put on yourself and the fact that you were like, oh, it's due on Monday. I'm going to turn it in three days early so that people won't be questioning me and going above and beyond.
1: Oh, absolutely. And especially, you know, I'm such a stickler for time. I'm always, I'm either on time or I'm early, even now. And I was always the first one in the, in the office. Not because that's what I was supposed to do, but because I felt like when people come in and see me there, they know that I've been working.
0: Yeah. So you sort of said you decided to stay because you had like a stable environment, but why did you keep re-enlisting and go all the way to 20 years?
1: Because every time I thought about getting out and there were times, and, and I'm sure people can relate to this, when if someone said, look, I'll give you $25 to get out, I would have been, I would have said, okay. <laughs> I'm done. But every time I said, okay, I'm going to make this decision, I would get orders to go somewhere. And it, you know, my son was in school still. And I thought, okay, I'll go to this next assignment. And then it it was always something. And I didn't feel like I could upset the apple cart as far as my son was concerned. You know, it was okay for me to be uncomfortable, but I didn't want him to be any more uncomfortable than he was. And so if I could keep stability in his life, which is what the Air Force meant to him at that point, then I was okay enlisting as long as they wanted me. And I pretty much at one point had said, you know, when he goes to college, that's when I'm going to get out. And I didn't quite do the math correctly. And so when he finally went to college, I had five years left and I thought, huh. And the Air Force was actually offering a five-year 25-year retirement at that point. And my dad had 22 years in the military. I remember calling him and I said, dad, the Air Force has a 25 early... Re-. And I said, re. And he goes, no. And I said, tire. And he goes, no. And I said, mint. And he said, no. And I go, early retirement. And he goes, no. He said, stay in and get your full full retirement. That's not what I wanted to hear, but he'd already done it. So I said okay, fine. And I did. And I'm glad I did.
0: So you were considering taking early retirement, but then you talked to your dad.
1: Yeah. you know, He'd already been there, done that. And I said, okay, I'll stay. So I'm glad I did.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your career and what your job was and what that experience of the military was like. So what career field did you do?
1: I was in communications my whole career. I started off Okay, y'all, I'm going to tell my age. My first duty station, I was on the switchboard. And I was supposed to be in the message center, but I waited almost six months to a year to get my, my TS clearance, my top secret clearance. And that shift work. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. So I did it as long as I could. And then I transferred, I did a lateral uh, training into uh, communications program management. And that's where I programmed for all of the communications on the base. They would bring the requirement into me. I'd make sure the requirement was filled and everyone was happy. And it was great. It was, wasn't until I was out that I realized that a lot of times I was the only female in the office, but it was okay. It, it didn't feel weird. Like my supervisors were super cool. The people I worked with were super cool. And I didn't think there was anything weird about it. But I love the career field. I learned a lot about, you know, cell phones at that time that were kind of rare. But, um, you know, working with the government contract for computers and stuff like that. So I learned quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I think being in calm in the 80s would be like 80s, 90s would be such a cool time because it was a big change in how we communicate. And everything was changing so rapidly. And now look at where we are today. So that's, that's really interesting. And then you talked about shift work. It shift work was hard because your son, you know, if you have to work nights, then who is gonna watch him? And that is that what and so you wanted to get on a day shift type of rotation when you laterally transferred.
1: I think the the shift work was just hard on my body. You know, when your body's like, hey, it's time to go to bed and you're like, No, I have to I have to stay awake and it's like, No, it's time to sleep. I was very lucky in the fact that a lot of my supervisors' wives would watch my son for me. And they would say, Hey, we're taking, you know, your son out to dinner. And I was like, I want to go. <laughs> so they took great. I was very lucky in that aspect. But shift work is just hard. You know, I used to work, you know, 12 hour shifts, two on, two off, you know, two days, two off, two mids, two off. And people say, Oh, that's great. And I go, No, it sucks. It was awful, which is why I You know, I wanted to stay in communications. I just didn't know what part of communications, but I found what I wanted and it was very cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. Shift work is really hard and I only did it for exercises and it was like so hard to adjust to working nights and to think about like constantly switching, like all of like, that would be so hard.
1: Yeah, your body clock is messed up. It took me a long, it took me a while to get back to a normal rhythm of, you know, sleeping instead of sleeping during the day, you know, sleeping at nighttime. But once you make that adjustment back, I said, I will never do shift work again.
0: You're like one and done. That was nice. I'm not doing that again. (laughs) It's crazy. And I worked nights and it would be like dark when I would go into the office and like dark when I would come out sometimes, depending on like when it was.
1: I know you felt like a vampire, didn't you? Yeah. It was horrible. It's it's so hard to work. You know, you go in and you come out and it's dark and you're like, wait, <laughs> what time is it? What day is it? You just get very confused.
0: And I worked in the tactical operations center. I think that might be in the military or the army term. I can't remember what the... It was the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center. And so we were in like a skiff and we were inside and there was no windows and like the whole 12 hours, you like didn't go outside. So it wasn't even like, it was, it was crazy.
1: Yeah. That's how the message center was. No window. You didn't know what the weather was until you walked outside and went, oh, it's daylight. <laughs> okay. So it's it's very, you feel almost like you're in a cave, which kind of sucks if you're someone who really likes the sun.
0: Yes. That's so true. So when you made the lateral transfer, is that the career field that you stayed in for the rest of your career or did you switch again?
1: Nope. I stayed in that for the rest of my career.
0: And then we were talking about like technology, you mentioned cell phones and like the internet sort of started in the nineties. So like what were cool things that you got to work on or technology that you saw change in the military? So I
1: worked on a lot of programs also. So what I mean by that is if there was a a new building going up or there was a huge project. So one of my huge projects was I got to go TDY to the mountain in um, Colorado Springs. And I was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. And we were doing a program where... Our base, Offit of Air Force Base, would be the backup communication system in case NORAD went down. Now, I can't even imagine that happening, but I got to go to NORAD and see it, and its I was like, I, I want to be here. This is kind of cool. And um, so that was the biggest project I ever worked on.
0: That sounds so cool.
1: It was very cool. I had to um, brief generals at the time, and I remember I was working on this project for you know, day in, day out, there was always delays. There was always, you know, you're trying to fight with people to make sure everyone stays on, on task. And the requirement came to update a general at Offutt Air Force Base, and they were going to send this lieutenant in. Nothing against lieutenants, y'all, but this was my project. This is what I worked on every day of the week. And I fought for it. I said, no, look. I've do this and I've, i fought for it and I won. So I got to brief the
0: general. So yay me. That's awesome. Yeah. I know. Lieutenants were awesome sometimes, and <laughs> not so much. but I, I do think that is something that officers sometimes do not. They're like trying to help the Lieutenant by giving them a the spotlight, but then they like forget about the enlisted person who works so hard. And it's actually the subject matter expert and more qualified to do the briefing. So I'm glad that you were able to fight for that and that you got to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was scared to death. Don't get me wrong, you know, because I was the lowest ranking person in the room and I was the only female, but I got through it. So it was good. I'm glad I fought for it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about you deciding to leave the military. What year? Was that 2000?
1: Yes, a- April first, actually, April first, two thousand, was my official last day of duty, my retirement date. And you know, people always talk about. I didn't know this transition thing. You know, I didn't hear really hear about. It. I just heard that you know, you get out, you get a job, you continue with your life. And people talk about today how you know there there's there's excitement and there's anticipation but there's also fear and dread and all this other stuff because you're leaving something that's been a part of your life for 20 years but i was ready i was ready to do this civilian thing so i i had it on lock i was like i got this transition thing down and i walked and i tell people all the time i walked out the door with my DD214 expecting banners and music and you know uh, food and music, you know, all of this stuff. And there was nothing. And I thought, what's going on? And I st- I kept walking and I started to do this free fall off, off the a cliff. And I thought, what's going on? Because no one ever talked about it ever. No one ever said, you know, don't talk about the T word, you know? And so I had to figure it out. And even though my husband is a veteran, you know, he did 10 years, it was weird to even speak about it with him because he didn't understand. Because when he got out, I was still active duty. So he still had that safety blanket. And I didn't have that safety blanket. So there's that, you got to get a job, got to get money. How are you going to pay bills? And so it was It was very fearful.
0: Yeah. spoke at the JWLS Joint Women Leadership Symposium in Virginia this past summer, and you told that story. And it still makes me laugh because it is transition is really hard and i feel like one of the biggest disconnects with transitioning is that it's taught by the military which are people who are still in the military who haven't gone through transition and it and it's like no wonder that people even now we're talking about it before we leave we're not talking about it with the right people and everyone's experience is so different there needs to be more input i was just talking to someone about the recruitment issue with the military. And there's all these think tanks and trying to figure it out. But they seem to be focused on talking to people who are still in or who served, you know, and made general. And they're not talking about the people who only served four years and got out. I'm like, that's the people who left. They can tell you why they left. What is wrong with the military? The people who stayed in, they don't know. And they're the same people who are also leading the transition programs. And they don't know because they haven't left. And the way that generals leave the military is very different than everyone else. And so there's a lot of challenges.
1: You know, even when I got out and I thought, okay, surely, you know, fast forward to 2017 and people are still talking about how hard transition is. And I'm thinking, wait, did they did they not fix this? And you would think that that they would want to fix it. You know what I mean? I don't think they want to. I think they're like, okay, because they're they're finished with you now and you're no longer their concern. But I always thought that there should be a panel of men and women, you know, some who are entrepreneurs, some who have a traditional job, talking about the transition process, about what it was like for them, so that you can get real live information, feedback from people who've been there, done that. But, you know, who am I? I'm just, you know.
0: Well, and I, I think there's a certain aspect of you don't know what you don't know until it's gone. And so there's like, it's I think that there's going to be some challenge with transition because transition is change and change is hard. But I feel like we need to talk more about that it's going to be hard and to be prepared for that instead of like where you're walking out like, Rainbows confetti, like I'm gonna get a job. Everyone,
1: I was so ready, but you know, I I just think that what needs to be you know talked about is the different pitfalls. I think what I didn't do was stay connected somehow to not just the military but veterans. And when I finally did get connected with veterans, they were all men. There were all these luncheons and breakfasts and all the stuff I would go to were male dominated. And I thought, okay, where are the women? Surely there are more than this. And I think women need to understand that if they get connected somehow, some way, and of course today there's all kinds of organizations that women can connect to. But when I got out in 2000, I'm not saying they weren't there. I'm saying I didn't know about them because no one told me about them. So I think if you get connected to women who you can talk to after you've been out. So you keep that connection. You know, isolation is really hard. It's, it's, it's a tough battle when you have no one to speak with about what you're going through. So that's my two cents. Okay. Two and a half cents.
0: That's so true. I did not want to be part of the veteran community because I don't know what it was. I guess I just had this like stereotype of old guys who didn't you know that I would have to prove myself of being a veteran and I didn't want to do that anymore and so I stayed away from the veteran community for a long time and I got reconnected with the veteran community I think mainly from LinkedIn but then I learned about women veteran organizations and then I got connected with you know amazing veteran organizations that are males and females and it was just like a welcome hug and I was like oh this is where I'm supposed to be. And I, I agree. People who are leaving the military need to get connected with veteran organizations and build those connections so that they can not feel so alone because that isolation is really hard.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree with that.
0: So you walked off the base expecting, you know, everyone to be so excited and ready to hire you. And then it was more challenging, but Eventually, you found a job, and then someday in the future, you started your business. So let's talk about, like, after you left your first job, and then how you ended up doing what you're doing today.
1: So my first job was wasn't traditional. You know, I've been in the fitness industry for 37 years. I always had one foot in the civilian community and one foot in the military community. So my first job was um, I was managing an all-women's fitness facility in Boston. And it was fine, except for the fact that I was expecting it to be someone like the military. So in the military, you know, Amanda, if you and I are working together and we don't like each other, the military says, look, I don't care. Just get the job done. Finish the mission. And I was like, okay, cool. I can do that. But what I found out in the civilian world is that, again, Amanda, you and I are working together and you're my boss and I can be the best at what I do. And if you don't like me, or you want to put your friend in my position, you can get rid of me at any point in time. And that's what happened pretty much. And finally I just, I I couldn't take it anymore. And I had a friend of mine who had switched jobs to a brand new gym that was opening. It wasn't a gym. It was a fitness facility. And I called her and I said, Hey, are you guys still hiring? And she goes, You want to work for me? And I said, I don't care. Sure. It was a personal trainer position. And that's when I really started saying, you know, this is my jam. This is where I want to be. You know, being in charge isn't all it's cracked up to be. You know, having a boss, like I can answer to myself. And if I screw up, you know, and I only have to answer to me, I can handle that. But, you know, for someone to tell you how awful you are when you know you've given it 100%, I couldn't deal with that anymore. I said, you know what? I had 20 years of that. I'm not doing this again. And then, you know, I, that's when I got my Pilates certification because I wanted to stand out not only, you know, cause back then, you know, personal trainers were a dime a dozen. And I thought, what can I do to stand out? And Pilates was that one thing that would make me different. And so we were there until 2008, which is where I, we moved to North Carolina. And I started working as a, I wasn't a W2 anymore. I was a 1099 girl. So even though I didn't have my own business per se, I wasn't W2 either. You know, I was a, I forget what you call them, but, um, you know, going for to different studios. And so it's just recently within the past couple of years that, you know, I started my podcast, you know, out of this search for why women were having such a hard time still transitioning because, you know... Like I said, I transitioned in 2000. In 2017, we're still talking about transition. I thought, okay, what's going on here? And for women to speak about those things and give them that safe platform where they could talk about whatever it is they feel like they need to, but also celebrate those women like you, Amanda, who are being bosses in their business and getting it done. Because I think that needs to be celebrated.
0: Yeah, I've been podcasting for four years, and I keep going back and forth, like, have I done it long enough? Should I stop? Because if you don't know when you're listening, podcasting's a lot of work, and it's really hard. And even though I love it, sometimes I'm like, I should just take a break and do something else. And so, but I keep getting emails from women who want to share their story, and I keep getting emails from women who have been on the podcast. and then that was the first time they publicly spoke about their experience in the military. And that led them to speak about another time of being in the military. And one just was a keynote speaker. And she said, my podcast was what started that. And I'm like, I can't stop because like, those
1: stories are, like, <laughs> I have to keep going.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you think about the impact of like having a platform for women veterans to talk about, it's like, crazy to think that the just having a platform so someone can speak about their experience in the military gave them the ability to share it in another place and to share it in you know not in a military place but another and it's just it's yeah so I I love podcasting but I'm also I'm also tired over 200 episodes it's a lot of work but I have that like pool of like, is it, has it been enough or do I need to keep going? And so I'm trying to figure that out.
1: Yeah. It's difficult. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm like you, there's times when I just, I just love it. And times when I go, Oh, if I have to edit another audio, (laughs) but um, I've learned how to utilize my time better. So I'm, you know, I'm not sitting down for hours and hours trying to edit. I've gotten, Rather good at it and not being such a perfectionist in the editing process. And that's why I love conversations, because you can't edit a conversation. If you're talking, people, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, I got to get all the ums and ahs out. And I said, well, when you're conversating with someone, do you monitor your ums and ahs? No. So I try to keep it as conversational as possible, keep it flowing keep it moving. So that people are like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So till they get to the end. So I totally get it.
0: Yeah, I could totally agree with being more efficient, like the amount of time it took me to make my first podcast episode, probably was like 10 times longer than my current process, because I've streamlined my process and I do things a lot quicker. And and make a lot of changes and editing you get a lot faster you like can see different things without even hearing the audio and you know i got to take that out
1: oh absolutely you know it's it's just repetition you keep doing it you keep doing it you keep doing it and all of a sudden it's you know boom 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 you're like okay done and then you move on to the next thing whereas you know that first episode oh good grief i can't even i think it might have been over an hour of editing
0: yeah it's a lot of work but We kind of got a little distracted. I was going to ask the question because you worked in calm and now you're doing fitness and like I did civil engineering and now I'm doing writing and podcasting. How did you switch from, you said you had one foot in the fitness, but was like, was that after you transitioned or was that something that you were passionate about when you were still in the military?
1: Well, remember I told you that I wasn't making a whole lot of money and needed a part-time job. That was my part-time job. So I was, for those of you that remember high impact and low impact aerobics, remember that geeky girl that had to be in the front doing it exactly like the the instructor? Okay, that was me. And what I didn't know is that the instructor was, she was military. She was getting ready to leave. And she asked me to take over her class. And I remember I was getting paid a big whopping $8 a class. And I was like, yes. And I did it. And that's how it started. So that's what I mean when I said I kept one foot in fit, you know, in the civilian, because when pe- sometimes when people get out of the military, they speak that military lingo. But you can't speak that way to <laughs> civilians. You have to know how to relate to them. So I was able to speak to them um, on a level that it got me used to speaking with them. And that's how my fitness career started, actually.
0: That's really cool. I love That story and that is like a good part-time job where you can work, you know, an hour here, an hour there, instead of like a three or four-hour shift where you didn't have that flexibility. That's really cool. I love that.
1: Yeah, it was great.
0: Is there anything else from your time in the military or your transition that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover?
1: No, you know, I I look back at my career and I really enjoyed being in the military you know, I had, for the most part, there were some one-offs, but I had great supervisors. I had somewhat pretty good assignments, but um, I, I just, it was just a great environment for my son. That's all I'm going to say. I was glad that I did it. And I was glad that I stayed in to to have that stability for him. And that's mainly why I did it.
0: That's awesome. So building on that, What advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military?
1: I would tell her to know her options, to ask a lot of questions. And if you don't know what questions to ask, to read your book, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Speak with someone who's been in the military. Ask them about their service. What did they do? Know what you want when you go in. Know what job you want to do. And don't deviate from that. Because they'll try to talk you into something. They'll go general. That's what I did. Communications general. That was me. And they'll just stick you wherever they need you. But if, be specific about what you want to do. Stay on course. Always have someone that's got your sex. If, if you find a friend who's always got your back, then you'll be fine.
0: I love that advice. And I, I do have a book called A Girl's Guide to Military Service that does answer your <laughs> questions about <laughs> military life. And I also have started a women of the military mentorship program to help connect young women with women who have served. So if you're like, I want to talk to someone, but I don't know anyone that can help you in that way. And thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experience on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Amanda. It's always great spending some time with you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really Thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode, and I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service, and so the first is my new book A Girl's Guide to Military Service which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Noble you can go check it out it's A Girl's Guide to Military Service it's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career and if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program which is also linked to in the show notes you can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.